Welcome to Teaching Python. This is episode 12, recorded on February 13th, 2019. This is the international edition of Teaching Python. We're joined by several guests today from around the world. I'd like to start by introducing my co-host, Kelly schuster Paredes, my fellow teacher who's dialing in from where this week, Kelly? I am outside of Bonn, Germany, visiting my mother-in-law and vacationing with the kids and my mother. So it's like the National Lampoon vacation <laughs> of Germany. <laughs> and then our first guest is Bob Belderboss from where this week, Bob? Spain. Dying in from Alicante, Spain. <laughs> nice to meet you, Bob. Bob is one of the founders of PyBytes and Code Challenges, and we're going to talk this week about his experiences with both of those sites. We're joined this week by his co-host and co-founder, Julian Sequera. So, Julian, where are you dialing in from today? G'day, Sean. I'm actually dialing in from downtown Seattle. Excellent. So, we've got two continents and about, I think, 6,000 miles between all of us here. And I'm really excited to have everyone on the call today. We're here to talk about teaching Python as usual. But before we start, let's go around the room and get our wins of the week. So something inside or outside of the classroom that was a big win for you or even a little win that was memorable. So Kelly, what's your win of the week? We're on a ski break right now, so it's kind of nice. I'm getting to catch up on all the books. I thought I was going to read another book, but just before we left, our boss gave us another book to read. So I am reading now Teaching AI, and I think this is a huge win for me this week, just being able to read it. It's by Michelle Zimmerman, and the book talks about just the how you can incorporate AI, not for coding, but in the classroom for the, the non-coders. And I think it's going to be really successful with the English unit that we're going to do later on this year. So I'm excited about it. So it's a good win for me. Very nice. Bob, we'll go to you next. What's your win of the week? I work for Oracle as a software developer, and I just started with a new team. So I'm very excited and learning a lot of uh, new stuff. And also mm -hmm. outside of work on the platform, we hit byte number 170, which was a pandas byte. And we're keeping up our streak and goal of three new bytes a week. So that's pretty exciting as well. That is Very exciting. Nice. Julian, how about you? Um, so not much actually Python this week. It's more that, so I'm in Seattle for a summit for AWS. That's been a massive win. It's a, I've met a hell of a lot of new people and I'm learning a lot of writing skills at the moment. So that was yesterday very big writing day, so I expect our articles to be even better. <laughs> Communication, it's a 21st century skill. Exactly. <laughs> well done. Exactly. Very nice. And for me, I have, I have a, a small bit of news to share. Teaching Python is hitting its 10,000th download this week. So in just under two months, we've gone to 10,000 downloads. I, I think Kelly and I mentioned this on our, our one of our previous episodes, but this is pretty surprising and exciting for us to see just how much interest there is in this topic of how to teach Python and how to get a little bit better at helping others learn this really valuable skill in this really valuable language. So we have a pretty pretty big win there for us on our, our podcast. And then the outside of the classroom win is that I introduced my five-year-old daughter to ramen noodle bowls yesterday, and she <laughs> loved it. Uh, so I have all these great photos of her just with noodles everywhere and, and broth, and she she was excited. So it was it was a really nice daddy daughter moment to to share together. That's excellent. Congratulations excellent. on both. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. Thank you. You know, it was funny when I was preparing for the podcast, I was researching about you guys and listening to you guys on the Talk Python to Me episode. It was so good. And I was I was laughing a bit because 
you guys mentioned that you guys, you never had met before. Yep, that's correct. <laughs> but you had a lot of conversations. That was true when that was recorded. But last PyCon, we met for the first time after, what was it, 10 years or so? Yeah, getting close to 10 years, I'd say. And isn't that amazing that your PyBytes, and it's getting such a such a growth on it too with like all the conversations just by the two strangers meeting and actually someone that hadn't coded much in Python and then one another person who was an expert. It was kind of funny. And I was sitting there thinking about Sean and I, and I when we started this, I was saying, we should record us talking. <laughs> <laughs> and that's kind of how it started. It was funny. That really resonated with me when I started listening to your podcast, like these different backgrounds. And I was like, hey, this pretty similar to how we started. It's nice. It's kind of like that mentor and that learner, that that person that I feel like Julian's probably like me. We just need to learn more. We just got to get more and more. And we keep coming to our mentors to ask more questions. And then hopefully we get we give something back to you guys <laughs> as well. All out. I'm, I'm a huge letdown. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't know. I, I feel like the roles switch almost minute by minute. We'll have some moments where we're deep into something technical or even theoretical about how computer science and Python work and practice. And then the next minute we'll be talking about, okay, now how do we teach that? What's the lesson plan for that? Or what's the way to approach that? So having that blend of skills and the different backgrounds, although it, it does feel like, you know, there's a mentor advisee relationship going on, it switches all the time, at least for Kelly and I. So it's pretty much true. I look, Bob definitely leads the way with the actual coding. There are times because I've got that that fresh eye to it where I can say, well, wait a minute, slow down, slow down. You know, <laughs> let's bring it back a bit. And likewise, well, obviously, uh, with my code, Bob will look at it and go, it's, it's, you know, five lines, that could be one line, you know, if you did it this way. There's no need for a for loop there or something like that. Right. I, I hear you. I hear the pain. <laughs> <laughs> That's it's great for I, I both have... of us because me teaching that in that moment makes it much deeper for me as well. Uh, so it's it's really interesting. Yeah, I was thinking. Talk a little bit about the the pipe bites because I'm imagining that by blogging and writing about it for both of you, writing about how you coded and and explaining it a little bit to the rest of the world, that helps solidify the the, the information in your head. No, at, at the end of the day writing about it was that was the the way to to absolutely prove to myself or to ourselves that we we learned something it's so easy to to read an article or watch a video and say yep i've got that down i know it essentially you're you're just regurgitating but then when you have to write it down in such a way that you have to explain it to someone that a stranger who knows nothing about you is reading it and can potentially understand what it is that you're saying, that's a whole different level of understanding uh, of knowing what a topic is. And so that's that was the best way for, for me to learn. There's a great quote from Einstein, right? You do not really understand something unless you can explain it to your grandmother. <laughs> it's <laughs> definitely a totally different ballgame, like reading it. You think you understand it, but if you have to explain it to somebody else or write an in-depth article, it's so much more difficult. Yeah, not only do you teach it and, and you help others, but also you help yourself by actually understanding it, it better. It was funny because when I was thinking about that, as I was reading over the website, I thought, oh, man, what a great lesson. We can have them write it out, write out an explanation or a blog post 
there's never enough time in our classrooms to do these exercises, but being able to just explain it and have them write it out, I think that would be really cool. Well, the, and the sure. other thing about the blog was really to have accountability buddy, because you need to have some sort of structure and a blog for us was really a way to just get started. It was not perfect. The first design was actually pretty crappy. And it was just a way for us, like, do a weekly commitment, right? And the funny thing is, like, the whole code challenge thing, that came, like, starting week four or five. We just started to challenge each other, like, how do we code this? And that grew out into the whole thing we're doing these days. So I think a great takeaway for me was, like, just start. All the, all the good stuff will happen once you get started, I mean, a lot of good things we, we've done with PyBytes were not planned. They were just, uh, just happened. That's great. So how did you guys meet? You talked, you were, did you guys work at the same company, correct? Yes. And then you were, you just started talking and say, we're going to meet and make, <laughs> make some Python stuff. Yeah, it was so funny. Um, Julian was managing the lab in Australia and I was working on some tool uh, because I was working in x86 uh, server support and I needed some machines and I reached out to Julian and we just started chatting, talking, emailing, and I guess we had some shared interest or and, and we just kept that contact for years, um, brainstorming, sharing and following each other's career. and. And all of a sudden, the whole coding thing came more into the foreground. I was using Python, and we can dig into that later. But Julie wanted to learn coding. And we always wanted to do like a big project together. But it always was like wishful thinking or just talking. And we let's, let's focus a block around Python. And then really, things started to become more structured. But I think all that conversation before really... Uh, yeah, sometimes I go back to that, and I think that a lot of the what we're doing now was kind of was in the making. So th this is one of those. I'm going to just be cliched and say pivotal moments, right? So th this was actually uh, back in Sun Microsystems that we met. Yeah, as Bob said, he tried to book some hardware that that I ran in my lab. The thing is, I'd never seen his name before. You know, you have your usual suspects. I was really curious because he wanted a heap of hardware. He didn't just want like four machines he wanted like 50 or something i thought who's this greedy man wanting half of my kit it, it's this is a, a lesson for anyone listening it's a bit, it's be curious right so i reached out to him and don't be afraid because here we are looking at, at bob and he's, he's just a normal bloke right but when you're sitting there as an intern as i was at the time i think in, in a giant corporation like sun which is now oracle it was daunting but I still did it, and I reached out, and I just kept that line of communication open. I remember wanting to know about this automation stuff. I wanted to know how someone could use code to do the amazing things that he was doing with this tool. And that, that's really what sparked the whole, the whole thing. So if that's a lesson to anyone, it's that. It's, you know, don't be afraid to reach out. Always be curious, because everyone's just another person. Yeah, definitely. And then actually when you find that person that accepts your curiosity, hold on to them because they're the ones that are going to help you through the, the hard times, you know, when you're when you're banging your head against <laughs> against the desk or the computer <laughs> and you just call them, right? Exactly. That's why Bob blocks my number. <laughs> as long as it's only temporary, you're fine, right? <laughs> yeah. You have the advantage of time zones. 
when he's asleep, <laughs> I can work and vice versa. So you guys launch this blog. You, things start. You're starting to get some momentum, right? And as you mentioned, I, I think this is really critical. Just start something. It doesn't have to be perfect in the first iteration. It just has to be live. How did you begin organizing it? What was some of the things that emerged from your process that seemed to be working well and helped helped your followers and readers? you know, latch on to and, and start to get some some value and knowledge out of the posts that you were making. Yeah, so the to build up on the code challenges, so I gave Julian a challenge, go solve a problem. So we had, there was a website, a JavaScript course, and there were timings on there. Go scrape that website and, and do a sum of all the timings because there's not a total uh, sum of the time. Nice little exercise. And we did that for a week and then we reviewed at the end of the week and we're like, wow, not only you did learn a lot by refactoring code and, and my suggestions, but I also did it myself and I learned a few things and, and I learned from what I told you. And then we just did that for the community. So we did the week after we did, what was the first challenge? The word values one, right? The Scrabble cheater, <laughs> like how you can make words of a dictionary and then every letter has points and then make the word that has the most value. Basically a Scrabble cheater. I think we shared it on Hacker News or something, like proof of concept, and there were a lot of comments and, and upvotes, so that meant like we were onto something. And then we made a GitHub repo and that people could submit our code, so the whole community idea was already there, baked in. And yeah, then we became pretty obsessed, like doing one every week, which was a lot of work. We started to build up this, this body of content which later on then led to all these other things. So I think persistence definitely played a role. And yeah, the, to, to find your niche, because there's a lot of Python content providers out there. Yeah, I think at the point we didn't really want to do only articles, but something different. And for us, the learning by doing as having that firsthand experience was really what we believed in, we saw the results of, so we started to build that out. At the time, just to add to that, you know, we followed a few blogs. You know, we followed Tim Ferriss. We followed, you know, the, the normal players in the in this game. We realized we probably needed to have a writing schedule. And that was one of the first times that we had some sort of pressure on us. I want to say pressure because we had to write an article a week. And, yeah, we could alternate it, but we were trying to do one each a week. So kids work suddenly learning Python and then having to regurgitate it into an article. I mean, that was massive for us. That was the first time we felt the pressure of this all. And that was the first organizational thing we did. We said an article a week, Bob Tuesday, Julian Thursday. And we had a calendar in, actually it was just a spreadsheet in Google Docs, this little something from 1990. And it was, it was, it was difficult. <laughs> it was difficult. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. Uh, miraculous how a spreadsheet can be a, a nice dictator. Absolutely. I was just actually looking at a couple of your your posts, Julian, because you have to admit, I, I, I get a little intimidated by you, Bob, just like I get intimidated by Sean sometimes when he comes and shows me the code. And I'm like, how did you do that? Yeah. <laughs> but then I was reading a little bit of your old post, like from 2016, where you even just started talking about indentations. And I was like, okay, I get <laughs> we it. can do this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what was interesting, though, I'm pretty impressed you were actually bringing in examples from other codes, which I thought was a nice thing to do because our kids in K5 learn with block. Okay. And some of them click the button to see the JavaScript. So it would be nice to show them here's JavaScript side by side like you did in a couple of your articles. So maybe when make code, Sean, when when you look at the JavaScript from 
from the make code and you can see it in the Python and it kind of makes, it allows you to identify the differences and the similarities between the two codes. And it's just a, it's a nice, I can imagine it was a nice learning moment to do that for you as well. No. Oh yeah. It, Cause it's every language is different, right? I hadn't been exposed to Python before. There was a bit of Java, mainly C plus plus, and it almost seemed like a crime that it was so simple. <laughs> I felt like I was, uh, you know, dumbing things down a lot, but it was it was incredible. That's kind of the, one of the great things about Python, right? Is you always feel like you're getting away with something. Like I'm cheating. It's, it shouldn't be more, this easy to do, right? Or all I have to do is install this package, and it does all these things for me. It always feels like you're cheating a bit. But at the end of the day, it's how productive can you be, and how well can you write your code so that it other people can use it, that it does what you want it to do getting them to start thinking about just this progression of how to think through the problems, write the code to solve it. And I love the way that it works really well for getting your thoughts into code and getting it working. And to and to read it six months later. Right. Oh, right. Yeah. That's important. <laughs> I always tell my students, like, don't assume that the next person who reads your code is going to understand what you did. And that next person may be you. So, like, don't, don't overdo it. Don't, don't be afraid to add comments and, and make it clear. It's better to be clear than, and have it be a little bit slower than it is to have it be really fast and unintelligible. Exactly. So tell us a little bit more about code challenges and kind of the state of it today. So, you know, for people who may not be familiar with code challenges, Kelly and I have talked a little bit about the role of, of challenges in our classroom for learners, this idea of having to learn things by doing it or to push yourself beyond your current knowledge. Tell us a little bit about code challenges today, what it does, how it helps students of Python learn in a different way than, than maybe reading from a book. Look, Code Challenges is, and this is going to sound like a little bit of a sales pitch, so just um, just bear with me. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's an in-browser Python coding platform. One of our struggles with these blog code challenges when we made them, these were all free community challenges back in the day, which you can still access. And we struggled with the fact that people were trying to submit their code through GitHub. They were trying to do this. Try, they, they didn't know how to actually... All, all this framework around doing the challenge was so complex for most people. We were spending a lot of our time trying to just get people up and running. So we thought, wouldn't it be cool if we could take care of that for them? And so months later, as Bob's uh, said many times, lots of coffee. We had this prototype going where you could log in using your GitHub credentials, and then code. You didn't have to worry about dependencies. You didn't have to worry about importing anything or um, about actually installing Python, which was surprisingly half the challenge for a lot of people. Virtual environments, you don't have to worry about it. Essentially, you're just left with that exercise, the actual learning experience that we wanted you to have. So Code Challenges is 170 exercises that you can do in your browser, we call them bytes, because we're pie bytes. Of course. Anyway, <laughs> okay. We're pretty That's good. That's funny. Uh, and, bites, uh, <laughs> bites of pie. And later, later I found a quote, which is now on the homepage. How do you eat an elephant? One, One bite, bite at, at a time. time. Excellent. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the idea is you get in there and you can play with this code. And there's no penalty, you know, so to speak. There's, there's no penalty. You don't feel judged you're just working at your own pace on this challenge in the browser the best part is is you can click save and run tests 
and then it runs a series of pi tests that we've created against your code to see if it actually runs. So obviously you need to frame your code around those pi tests and straight away there's a new skill, you know, test driven development. So you're learning a whole bunch of things and the reason we love it is that these 170 bytes are across so many different topics like so many topics and that means we have to learn more so we're consistently learning right but the best part is is people are taken out of their comfort zone as i'm sure you guys know when you're working with python in the field you tend to get keyholed into one specific topic or you know branch of python and people come to this platform they're like oh great now i get to play with pandas or i've never done this sort of data analysis before or look there's a flask byte people are loving it it's actually really good how do you know that they're learning? Like, how, what are the, some of the things that you see in, or that you have in the platform or in the community that show how people are learning that they're making progress? You know, in, in our classroom, we can look at them. We can see on their faces. Are they getting it? Are they glazed over? Are they confused? How do you see this in code challenges to know that people are making progress? Or how do you know when they get, or when they're stuck? A couple of things. Uh, we made some inside pages, which are highly addictive for us and uh, <laughs> and the average is around like 50 60 bytes get resolved every 24 hours and at peak times it can even uh, go up to 100 almost and so we definitely see a lot of people encoding and actually completing them and so that's that's a, a good number uh, we have a slack community and i guess we will touch upon the community a bit later about people asking questions there, helping each other. Of course, we uh, warn them to not uh, spoiler the exercises. So they, they are very uh, well behaved. So they help each other there. And we have some uh, testimonials. So the feedback from people are, are really great. So we have had people that, thanks to the practice they got on the platform, have found new jobs, paid gigs, or just admitted that they grew their Python skills um, significantly. And, and even... And what was cool that that's not only beginners saying that, but even like experienced Pythonistas were saying like, I already knew Python, but actually I learned a lot more because I could solve the exercises. But even if I could solve them easily, I still looked at the answer and saw other more Pythonic ways to do it. Or I went onto the forums because every byte has a, has a forum and saw, and, and saw like 10 other solutions because people can share them there. So all this, yeah, this all this feedback indicates that they're they're really learning. So it's it's working, yeah. The Python community, I've read about it, and how they're very nice and very helpful and very vocal. And everyone, everyone's always willing to give advice or feedback, and it's it's a good, it's a pretty good community to be around. Just out of curiosity, do you have any analytics on how many females are out there coding and using PyBytes? Or That's no, a good one. no idea. <laughs> That's what you need to work. <laughs> we'll be interested to see. I know there's a, a lot of women who code. It's the There's a couple of websites out there that I'm on and I follow on Twitter, and they're constantly trying to get people coding. But normally I see it for JavaScript and not so much for Python, which is very interesting to me. So I'm always looking, looking forward that to see, you know, give another reason for the girls to get into it. Well, we, we have a – I know we definitely have a few because, you know, we have the Slack community and everyone, and everyone talks, right? Um, one of the fine lines we're trying to um, walk here is trying not to collect data on people. And that, actually, that's it's funny, right? Running this, we just wanted to code. 
you know, and but there's so many things we've now had to learn and, and take into account, and this is one of them, which is why we have people sign up with GitHub, because let them handle all of that, and we'll just worry about the code. But, yeah, that, that is interesting. That is something we should definitely try and figure out. That would be an interesting data point. That'd be cool. Maybe maybe some of our listeners and your 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 followers will let us know how many women. Not to say that men, you know, just which interesting for the women to see how <laughs> we can support the females and the the girl students in our school. It's interesting just to see. Kind of hurt, right? <laughs> we'll ask. Kind of hurt. Never hurts. <laughs> <laughs> not to transition uh, too sharply, but you know, one of the things that that we thought was really interesting and cool is the hundred days of code that you put on code challenges also. For me, one of the things I love about it is the fact that it's significant, but it's not insurmountable, right? Like, it's like, it's like biting off a, or taking on a little elephant to, to take one bite at a time rather than a, a giant one, right? How did the 100 days of code come about? Like, tell us a little bit about how that started and, and what seems to draw people in for that. I, I love seeing, you know, for example, all the people on social media talking about I'm on day 54 of the 100 day of, days of code. Tell us a little bit about that. That's actually how we spotted it, right, Julian? Uh, like, yeah. seeing all those tweets on, on Twitter. Yeah, we had no idea what it was. We thought, what is, what is this craziness? <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, look, it, it was quite funny. Bob brought it to me and said, hey, let's let's give this a try. And, you know, I would, being the, the voice of reason, right, I said, Dude, we have kids. No, uh, I, said, <laughs> I said, we're coding every day anyway. This is just going to be a big cop-out for us. You know, we got to do something special. Oh, I don't know what we were thinking. We ended up making a script a day for 100 days. So when we committed to that, we thought, great, fantastic, awesome. And then 15 days in, you know, we were hitting our heads against the wall thinking, what are we going to write? <laughs> and we, we were literally just searching the internet for libraries that we could write a script on and you'd be learning something every day there'd be late nights till 1am trying to come up with something to meet the deadline so again this is setting ourselves deadlines but yeah look at the end of the day it was probably the best thing we ever did i think it was that was the pivotal moment for us um if for- yeah isn't it cool when something is like really hard and very challenging it's also getting you the best result yeah and that was 100% it. It was very difficult. Um, but, you know, as everyone knows, the challenge is, or hopefully everyone knows by now, the challenge is to code every day for 100 days. And uh, 30, 60, An hour a day, yeah, right? 30, 60 minutes. Essentially, it's whatever you can manage, right? People are busy. It's just to build that repetitive action of, of coding, whether it be watch a video, read a book. But for us, we, we recommend people actually code, you know. Um, and that led into a whole bunch of other opportunities for us. Um, be, the first one being Talk Python, right? When we, we got on that podcast and we were talking with Mike after the episode and he said to us, he goes, you know, I think you, you've, you've got a good idea here with this 100 days course. And we, we spent this whole time spitballing and we came up with this course idea to walk people through the 100 days because we realize people are having the exact same issue as us, which is they get today anywhere between 10 and 20 and have no idea what to code. They've done everything that they wanted to do. And then we thought, well, why not guide them? Same thing with, like, yeah. with the exercises. We'll, we'll guide them through it. It was more about getting them a curriculum than them willing to learn Python. They all want to code. They all want to learn Python, but they just don't know what to work on or what's relevant, what's not relevant, 
how can I structure it? And one of the greatest thing of the course is that it gives them a full curriculum to go through. And I think that's a big win. And I also like how you guys have your learning objectives and you ask them, you know, what are your learning objectives and stuff? I guess for me as a teacher, if, if you can find out what the main motive is of somebody wanting to learn something, you can help empower. I, I don't know if that was strategic. You could say it is strategic on your part of writing that in, but how to empower, <laughs> how to empower them. <laughs> Total. <laughs> totally. Yeah. I can see teachers in the background. You sure you don't want to come teach in Florida? We can always use two more Pythonistas in our, in our school. <laughs> it's warmer than Seattle, I assume. So yeah, I'm Absolutely. on my way. <laughs> <laughs> and then, I guess the the next leading into that is that there what we've seen is that there are so many teachers out there, teachers that we know, teachers that we've talked with online that say, oh, I can't do that, or I don't know where to start, or you know, it's amazing that you write all this code, but I, that I can't do that. There's this natural barrier to getting started, I think, in the unknown. Any advice for teachers who maybe want to start coding but don't know where to begin, or maybe just need a project to start on? Anything that you've seen building these two different platforms that might be helpful for teachers that want to get a little bit better or, or build their knowledge of Python? I guess there's two questions there. How do you start and then how do you grow? Starting, as we touched upon before, is really, is really about trying to let loose of perfectionism, right? To accept that your first iteration is not perfect and that it will become a lot better when you adapt the feedback and make it better, right? Because code challenges also at the start there were some serious issues, right? Not not bugs per se, but like things people just didn't understand or didn't get. We had to make UI changes. And even with the byte descriptions, like we get weekly feedback, like, well, what do you mean there? Why is th that doc string, that may, doesn't make sense. And we just make, as it's all in the database, we just make those changes on the fly. I'm really happy with that design, actually, that the exercises are in one central place so we can just update them as, as we go. A lot of iterations, a lot of getting, uh, making it better, but you just have to start. In terms of, I think the other thing that keeps us passionate every day is we make it fun, right? We make it relatable. So for bytes, we use movie stars, movie quotes, uh, books, Tim Ferriss, whatever. <laughs> we, we put our own passions and, and likings in there and I think, yeah, that, that just makes it more fun and you see that it delights our users. And I think that's another piece of advice. And then, yeah, the, then the, the, the whole practical thing, and I just want to quote Jake van der Plas, like, don't set out to learn Python. Choose a problem you're interested in and learn to solve it with, with Python. Build practical projects. And if they're related to stuff you really like, then it's, it's just easier. See, for me, that, that seems so easy because Sean, Sean, like he has seven projects this weekend. And me, I, I um, every time I go to pick up the, the computer and code, I'm like, I have no idea what I want to do. Maybe I want to do automate and I'll pick up the book. And no, I'll put that down. And then I pick up another book. So I think that as a teacher who'd never, I'm never coded, I use Dreamweaver. That was my Dreamweaver and LabVIEW robotics. That's, that's my background when it comes to the computer science. And for me, I just got pushed into it and I got hooked. It was a it was a love hate situation for the first couple of months, and I'm still a real newbie. And so, having said that, you don't really feel like a newbie anymore, do you, Julian? 
I, st- I actually still do. I still do. And it's because I, I think, you know what, I, I came to this conclusion a little while ago. I think I'll always feel that way. There's, there's a few reasons, but um, it's just that Python's so... There's so much to it. It's so, so extensive. And um, when you work alongside Bob, who can... He he lives and breathes breathes code. You know, he looks out the window and sees ones and zeros. I'm pretty sure of it. <laughs> Just like the Matrix, right? For for me, you know, also my time is a lot. I have a lot less time to code every day than you know Bob and anyone else that we work with. What it comes down to, everyone's different. Everyone is is very different. I see people in our community going from asking simple questions about virtual environments to two weeks later asking some of the most the, the craziest extensive questions I've ever seen and I'm going what did you just do in two weeks you know and it yeah they're using the platform but you get those little hits where you think oh geez I'm not good enough and uh, this also comes back to anyone who wants to teach it's that whole imposter syndrome where you, you think you're not good enough you think you can't do it and that's just yeah that's just a lie that, that never goes away actually I mean, yeah, yeah. even now, it's a constant with battle with with putting new stuff out there, learning new skills. In in a sense, you're always a newbie, right? Or that's the only way to kind of win that battle is to constantly keep producing content. Exactly. I mean, it's it, it's it's quite funny. An example for you is I've been doing a lot with Flask, and I'm still doing a lot with Flask. And every time I say I'm going to move away from Flask, I get sucked back in a Flask, and I can't get. I'm going to say Flask 10, 10 more times. So I, I like to think I know a, a little bit about it, right? But then I have to, then I realize there's a plugin for it that I, I that could have done what I, I've just been spending hours to do. And you feel like this massive newbie because then you've got this plugin going, how do I tie that into my code? And then you've got Bob saying, hey, you should try using Django instead. And you, And then you're sitting there going, there's another framework to know, you know. So, and that's going to be the case, I think, until the day I die. There's just always something to learn. So, I wouldn't say I, I'm a 100% newbie anymore because I'm fluent in that I can converse. But I think from a tech standpoint, I'm always going to feel like it. But that's like <laughs> the perfect crack for teachers, right? I mean, there's always more to learn. You're never done. I, I enjoy that. I got suggestions yesterday on how to rewrite some PyTests. You know, like, yeah, that was lame how I wrote it, but then I corrected it and you learn something new, right? So I think it's it's also an attitude thing. Yeah, I used to think that Sean was magical when he made the, the charts and the bars show up on on the on the Jupyter Notebook, and then I realized he just used a Matlib and it had the whole code. And, and that's the good <laughs> news, like, right? That's it's all, how he made those lines. <laughs> it's all learnable. Yeah. So what advice would you give our, our students? Um, because I think we're going to talk, be talking to Joshua of EduBlocks in a couple of weeks. And uh, what would advice, because we're going to ask him as well, uh, to our students, if they wanted to get careers or even, Julian, you're not a coder or programmer for work, correct? No. no. You just do it for fun. So if they want to do it for fun, what kind of advice, the same as the teachers or anything different? Um, so look, ad- advice for anyone learning to code is embrace being frustrated it is going to annoy the heck out of you you're going to want to throw your computer against the wall or maybe that's just me but at the end of the day it's one of those things where the harder it is the more you'll learn the more you'll remember if it's easy you're not going to retain it Um, you will remember the frustrating moment but more importantly you remember that little uh, light bulb moment where you suddenly 
get it and four days worth of stress and frustration and pain suddenly amounts to having this slick running code, this running program and you just think, oh, I've got it and you never forget it. So that's one thing I, I will say to people is it'll be hard. If you're doing anything of value, it's going to be difficult and just stick with it. Keep pushing yourself, but more importantly, find something fun and interesting to be doing. Don't just follow some arbitrary guide because someone's told you to. Um, make sure it's something you, you actually get a bit of joy out of, which is why I'm, I'm doing web framework stuff with Flask, because that I can visually see it. <laughs> I can add to that. So for programmers or people wanting to advance their career in that field or in just in general, for us, the accountability buddy has been so powerful like because if you have to do it by your own it's so easy to give up or it's like there's there's not really a, a, an incentive or not enough and if you have to be accountable towards a friend or or a partner then it, it becomes it's a whole different ball game the other thing is goals being proactive uh, if we don't set goals then there's this quote, right? You aim for the stars and you end up at the moon. So that's kind of true. So I think you have to aim high. And the other thing which is, well, we highlighted is the community. So we started our Slack community. But that's not only for PyBytes. I mean, anybody can start a community. There are some people that are reporting back on Slack that they're doing meetups and they organize, uh, so they organize meetups. And they teach there and they bring Pythonistas together. And not only is that great because you will be teaching and sharing information, but it's also good for leaderships and organizational skills. So you're networking and all that. So that's also something I can really recommend. Oh, and if you haven't got a Twitter account, go and get one. Because uh, Python is, the, that's the biggest uh, social media platform I've found for Python at the moment. Everyone's sharing data and, and supporting each other on it. And it's, it's awesome. And as a coder, you probably want to have your GitHub repos, and that's like your CV. I, I think that's true. It's one thing to actually have a CV. It's another thing for someone to be able to go see your actual work, right, and see what you've accomplished or see how you think through problems. It's like a, a peek inside your brain when you look at someone else's GitHub repo. Yeah. Way more these There's days. No, yeah. If they're, if they're in our comments, then... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> no, no comments on the code, then it doesn't count, right? right. <laughs> and uh, same with teachers. It's uh, the Twitter is a very huge PLN for us, so it's kind of nice. I get my Python and my my teaching Twitter is is filled. So we have a little bit limited amount of time, and I just want to know because I know there's a lot of things I don't know for libraries, and and now that I'm starting to realize that the libraries are there, most useful or most creative or favorite library, only one. Your most useful or most favorite or most creative library that you have in Python? John Bob. That's uh, hard to choose. <laughs> I'm going to mention all three. Uh, PyTest. You don't have to mention all three. Pick one. <laughs> PyTest for us is for how we've been able to write test code for 170 bytes. That That's really a big one for us. And it, it makes writing test code much easier, uh, less code, more concise. So PyTest is really awesome. Yep. So I'm going to throw in I'm going to throw in two because uh, they sort of work hand in hand. I'm going to say Flask, obviously, because I'm somehow addicted to it, and also requests. 
and I know we all know what request is, but the reason I want to pair these two up is, one, as I've said, Flask is extremely visual. You get a chance to see what it is you're creating. It's not as, it's not a command line application, right? It launches a web browser, and you can see what you've done. So immediately you get that that impact, right? You get that feedback. And with requests, it opens up Flask to be able to do to present any data you could possibly want, really. One example, which um, I might be giving away a spoiler here for something coming up that we're making, but I use Flask to go and, and request to go and hit the Chuck Norris API and then pull down a random Chuck Norris joke every time you hit the button on your web page. And that's how I demonstrate how to use Flask with an API, with a, with an API and with requests. And it's just... I was showing someone this and it was surreal because they just said, how? They were just blown away. But really the code was, you know, 10 lines or something ridiculous. And you have that, it's, it was very different to an experience of trying to explain to someone what a command line application was doing. Because it was Flask, they were able to see it straight away and get that immediate feedback of, hey, he's just gotten... He's just made his own website that tells you a silly Chuck Norris joke every minute or something, right? And that's why I'd recommend it for anyone learning, you know, lean towards something like that that might give you that little bit of feedback. Can I mention another one, please? <laughs> of course. So if you're into data science, uh, pandas. I mean, yesterday I was looking over some statistics of ours and I'm still blown away. Like, read CSV and bang, you have your whole table spreadsheet there in in a, a data frame and it's I, I could get stats out of there a bit of matplotlib in line with the jupyter notebook in in 30 minutes and i was just blown away so that's uh that's really cool to to explore pandas and matplotlib if you're doing data science i agree i think i think bob we're gonna have to maybe set up a separate call for that to, to talk through some pandas tricks i i this was not my attention but <laughs> No, I just I love that. I love that library as kind of a stats and analytics oriented person. We recently taught a lesson on genetics for sixth graders that ran a simulation in the Jupyter notebook and then used pandas to gather statistics on each generation of, of organism that was reproducing. And it was, I think this was the, the notebook that Kelly was saying, like, oh, it's so magical, like, but it's really Matplotlib, uh, pandas, and some like, three objects that I wrote that work together. And it was, it's, again, it feels like I'm cheating, right? I'm making this like really cool genetic simulation. The kids are loving it. And the code behind it is just simple and elegant. And it makes it so easy to get your ideas out of your head and, and into code. Yeah. And then of course, a big shout out to Jupyter Notebook that makes it possible to uh, do all those things in a browser. That's really awesome. It's really, really kind of an amazing thing. And I kept telling my students um, as they were going through this, like, this is, you're not just using this as a teaching tool. This is a real tool that you can use. And someone just won the Nobel Prize in economics using a Jupyter notebook. Get, go out there and, and explore and see what you can do. I, I think that kind of wraps us up nicely. I want to thank each of you for, for joining us today from all around the world. Julian, thank you for getting up so early in the morning in Seattle to join us. No worries. And, and it was just a, a pleasure talking with each of you, and hopefully we'll see you at an upcoming PyCon or, uh, or some other event soon. 
Yeah. Do you guys, uh, do you guys go to any of those? A lot of those. I saw some of the Twitter, Twitter meets up. I've been stalking you guys on the, on the website. Sorry, on holiday. So I guess that should have been my win. I was, I wasn't reading my book as much. (laughs) (laughs) Stalk away, please. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We, we do go. Um, it, it is pretty pricey and, and difficult because it's so far away, but we, we make the effort to go to, uh, US PyCon. Uh, we went last year, as Bob said before, for the first time. We will be back here in a couple of months for 2019. So it will be good. Excellent. Do you well, we hope to see you there. Um, so this is Sean. And this is Kelly. Signing off. <laughs>